G'day, welcome to the Noob Spirit Podcast. I am the show host, Shrek. Welcome aboard. This is the show where we interview spearfishing experts, authorities and characters from around the world. Today's episode was a special request from a listener. His name's Lincoln. He says, hi guys, love the podcast. Just wondering if you have considered doing a tight-ass Spiro episode. I know you get what you pay for, but the cost can add up. Are there ways to save a bit of cash on gear besides the $20 off at spearfishing.com.au, of course, using the code NoobSpiro. Um, anyway, so today's episode, it's been a long time coming. I managed to get Trevor Kitchen in the studio, and we have knocked out not only buying your first lot of equipment and how to save money there, but DIY stuff, good maintenance practice and things like that. We we get into the nuts and bolts. And there's a few voicemails there from the Noob Sparrow community as well with their tips and tricks as well. But um, I guess I want to get into some shout-outs just before we get there. Freshwaterworlds.com has got a host of events there, uh, really exciting competitions, and there's a lot of people getting involved from around the world. Check it out at freshwaterworlds.com. Also, Nooba Stories. If you're unfamiliar with this, go to noobspero.com. Up in the menu, there is a section called Nooba Stories, and this is where you can leave a voice message that can be included in an upcoming episode. You could do an equipment review, uh, a scary situation with some lessons learned, Anything you like, feedback about the show, go to noobspero.com, up into Nooba Stories, and leave me a voice message to include in an upcoming episode. Also, massive news. Adreno are opening a Gold Coast Superstore. It's opening on Saturday, May the 1st, and I'm going to be there. Uh, it'd be fantastic to chat with you. I'm going to do some live interviews and just hang out. We're going to There's going to be live streaming and all sorts of crazy stuff going on. Adreno are giving away a bunch of gift bags to people that are um, in line. There's going to be um, a bunch of characters there, and it's going to be a really cool experience. So Saturday, May the 1st, and the Gold Coast Adreno Megastore. Check it out. The address is 3 to 9 Rawlins Street in South on the Gold Coast. So I'll see you there Saturday, May the 1st. Starts nice and early, I believe. Anyway, check it out. I'm also excited to announce an Australian product. John Gillis sent me an email after I just um, sent him a PM, uh, DM on Instagram. Sorry, PM, DM, I get mixed up with all of it. I can't keep up. Anyway, he says, the do bags are on their way and I'm running a pre-sale of 15% off. The code is pre-sale 15. So he'd be stoked to get a mention on the podcast. So check it out. Jewbag, which is D-H-U-B-A-G. Check them out on Instagram. Some really cool design products coming out of Western Australia. I love it. Also, Neptonics.com have got a brand new product called the Bleed Stopper. And it's a trauma kit, basically. If you get struck by a prop, bitten by a shark, um, you stab yourself with your knife, you need a trauma kit. You need preferably a tourniquet. But Neptonics.com have got these brand new med packs. Check it out. It's called the Bleed Stopper Kit. Neptonics. And you can use the code NOOB10. To save 10% off store wide on anything there, but I really like the look of this product and thought I would give it a mention. But hey, let's get into today's episode, Trevor Kitchen. Away we go. <laughs> G'day, guys. Welcome to the new Super Podcast. I'm Shrek, uh, or Isaac uh, more commonly, but um, Shrek is good to go. Um, Trevor was kind enough to send a picture of a photoshopped buff Shrek for me in preparation for this interview, so I was extremely grateful. Thanks, Trevor. You're welcome. It suits you now. Like, you're slightly more buff than you used to be. <laughs> Lincoln Smith, uh, a couple of years ago, uh, look, I, I don't get to things in a hurry, but I do get to them eventually. Lincoln says, hi, guys, love the podcast. Just wondering if you have considered doing a tight-ass Spiro episode. I know you get what you pay for, but the cost can add up. Are there any ways to save a bit of cash on gear besides the $20 off when you use the code noobspiro at spearfishing.com.au when you spend more than $200. Um, Lincoln, what a legend. 
Fantastic idea. Trevor, as an authority on being an absolute tight ass or cheapskate, I invited you. Well, thank you. Now, I have spent a large percentage of my life broke, um, so I've had a bit of practice. This is an episode I actually feel like an authority to talk on too because um, I too have spent a considerable portion of my life similarly. Um, and I'm not that much different now. I still like to save money and I think everyone does. So we're not just going to talk about buying equipment today or even DIY. We're going to get right into the weeds and have a bit of fun with it. I've got a couple of emails I wanted to get to fast. Did you have any comments before we hook in, Trev? Uh, I'll just see how we go through it and I'll try and add information where I can. Okay, cool. Ashley Clark sent me an episode with regards to episode 150 about the death piles of the Doctor Death. He says, I'm super pumped to hear that there's an upcoming episode with Trevor. I've just had a coffee and saw this email and finally had some time to join in the conversation. So excuse the mega rant. And he sends a, a whole lot, but he says... Uh, what a humbling dude Trevor is. Having only just met him a few weeks ago at the Tweed Club competition, I've been inspired and relieved to gain a glimpse into his spearfishing philosophy. It's obvious to me that alongside his intelligent, dark sense of humour, runs a compassionate love of the ocean and a deep need to care for it, increase awareness and protect our ocean as sparrows to hunt selectively and sustainably. This is another big part of the reason why I got Trevor on the show. You can um, listen to a number of episodes I've recorded with him over the years, including a guide to spearfishing in southern Queensland. I think Trevor was uh, maybe our local legend maybe back in episode six or something trevor oh it was a while ago it's fun to listen back to it it, <laughs> it shows how much i've learned in the yeah those years yeah ashley goes on to talk about this sport challenges me in incredible primal ways to feed my family and friends and i know that many folks are put off by the associated image and perceived cost of starting out um for it seemed to be an elite sport by some and um and he goes on to share concerns about you know like selling tons and tons of brand new gear he's got a really neat phrase down here actually he says um tons of plastic acres of colorful neoprene and kilometers of rubber bands are consumed often only to be used a couple of times and uh just sort of the theme of, of his email was enlarged just like um being more intentional about what you purchase and why you're purchasing it not just spending money you know willy-nilly and and you know like Obviously, spearfishing is already an expensive sport and uh, what, what are we sort of doing it for? To, Trevor's got some neat points that he wants to chat about, like do you want to look good or do you want to shoot fish? Like, And um, just sort of resolving some of these conflicts in our own mind. So thanks to Ashley for that. I really enjoyed your email, man. And who else have I got here? Andrew Bolton. Andrew sent in a message about the other side, another side of the death pile argument was, you know, if you spend a lot of money and you head out on these trips, then, you know, Taking a, a sometimes a substantial portion of fish, you know, can be can be what you do to try and get a little bit of bang for your buck, so to speak. So thanks for contributing to the conversation and all of the conversation that's happened on the Newsboro community on Facebook. Bloody awesome! But um, I want to hook into this episode about being a tight ass sparrow. Trevor, what's your philosophy with uh, money and spearfishing? Like, what's your overarching philosophy? Uh, I've been on both sides of the fence, but most of the time it's just spend what you have to to get by. Otherwise, you'll end up overcapitalizing, um, and it's very easy to do in spearfishing. Very easy. We are using the similar spear gun these days. You've broken a couple of them. Um, I don't know if we should mention the brand now because then we're casting it in a dim light. No, it I wasn't put, gear error. It was user error. 
Should we mention the brand then? Oh, you can. You're more than welcome. So we're both no, using. It's not its fault. We're both using Salva My Heroes now, and they're definitely not at the the entry level um, spear gun market. But I mean, hearing that you use them actually influenced my decision as well. Oh, yeah. Of course, I'm just such a beautiful trendsetter. Just, <laughs> I can't help it. We're going to chat about spear guns and all the other equipment as well. For now, let's get started and have a listen to what Ben Vitino had to say about his recommendations for saving money on spearfishing equipment. Shrek, it's Ben here. Thought I'd drop you a message about the Budget Spiro podcast. I'm probably not, no, definitely not qualified to talk about anything technical because I'm still a massive noob. But one topic definitely within my area of expertise is losing gear. So I thought I'd tie that into being a stingy Spiro and saving money uh, by losing hopefully less stuff. I would say start by getting a half-decent gear bag and good-fitting gear. If it feels a little bit off in the shop, it'll probably feel a lot bit off in the water. Um, it's easy to get flustered in the shop. Don't be too keen and, you know, buy a size up in flippers because they didn't have your size because if they don't fit right, you're, you're likely to lose them in the water. I think also getting a mask that fits and, and just being conscious of where you're storing that mask, so never sort of putting it on your forehead because I know it's a pretty natural position, but, yeah, you're, you're likely to lose it if there's a wave or you're not paying attention or anything like that. Um, so just making sure that you're putting your mask around your neck. I think other things like taking an extra second to think about what you can let go of and, and what you can't, so like what's tied on. So what I mean by that is if you've just shot a fish and it's sitting on your spear and you go to brain it, you've got to know that you can let go of your spear gun. So losing gear. Um, we'll get back to the rest of Ben's voice message in a minute. Trevor, have you ever lost any gear? Not a great deal. I'm a bit anal with, um, like he was saying in the message, kind of always having it hooked or connected to something. Uh, the only things I have lost are spear guns, um, but that's more of a safety thing to myself. I refuse to hook them to myself. Mm. Um, so when it gets to the end of the reel or if something goes wrong, I either cut the line or lose the gun, unfortunately. Uh, but that's mm. more of a personal choice. There are ways around that, like belt reels and those kind of things. Losing gear is an expensive hard and easy to do if you get caught in a breaking wave up against rocks and you kind of get knocked around a bit it's easy to lose track spear guns are remarkably common to lose like it seems like um sometimes there's a misunderstanding like um a diver jumps in the water and in their eagerness to jump in they haven't tied like if you're using a rig line and a float like 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 i recommend a lot of guys when they're starting should do they don't clip the gun on or it's assumed that it's clipped on or and then the gun gets thrown over and the person that's thrown it over has also thought that it was connected to the float and rig line, and, but the gun has glug, glug, glug gone to the bottom and uh, some Atlantean is probably using it. I'd say so. I've done exactly that with, um, I won't use their name, but we were diving off my boat and I'd used my rig line to hook onto another guy who was stuck on the bottom, mm. stuck my gun on the back way uh, duckboard essentially, and the boatie grabbed the spear thinking I still had the gun and threw it back in the water, which towed the gun off and just disappeared. Came back later, I'm like, um, has anybody seen my gun? <laughs> wow. And, you know, most spear guns, like if, if you've been going a couple of years, you get more and more particular, it's generally going to cost more than $500. It's a substantial amount of money to be going over the back of a boat into the bottom floor never to be seen again. 100%. It's probably the largest investment apart from your fins that you spend money on. Mm. All right, let's get back to Ben's voicemail. Conversely, you've got to know that you can't just drop your knife um, when you're done braining it and you've got to sheath it properly and obviously not let go until you've sheathed it. With that knife thing he's talking about, like 
I used to use like a little bit of um, flexi, like black cord, like bungee cord, and tie it around my holster. And then if I'm burling or whatever, I can let go of the knife without it being even in the holster, and then I can do stuff. Is that something you recommend, Trevor? What's your technique with looking after your knife? Yeah, having the shock cord on there or the elastic cord certainly helps. Um, when it's in your holster, you can hook it under the end of the sheath, and that stops it falling out by accident, per se. And then, yeah, when you're using it, you can have it around your wrist, and that kind of holds it in place and stops it doing naughty things. Fantastic. I think the perfect example is a mate who's brained his first buff brim and he's looking around for some other five-star eating fish and then he shoots one and realises his knife's gone so he can't brain the next one. I think another important thing is don't take too much stuff into the water. If you're diving and you've got a cray loop and a gun and a float line and a catch bag and blah, 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 you're a lot more likely to lose stuff especially because you don't need it all at once and you might shoot a fish and then you forget where you left your cray loop or you, you know, you'll go chasing a cray under a ledge and, and you'll just completely forget where you put your spear gun or it'll, um, it'll get moved with the swell and you know, all that sort of thing. I think it's just the old don't go into the water looking like a Christmas tree because my two cents on that is that you'll lose a few decorations. Just want to say cheers and obviously love the podcast and keep up the awesome work. So that was Ben Vitino, who's actually also a, an admin on the, the Noob Spirit community group on Facebook. So massive um, shout-out to Ben. Thanks for contributing your uh, voice message there, Ben. And sorry we interrupted you at several occasions. Oh, no, I like that part about losing decorations. That's an excellent analogy. That was the old Darren Shields, uh, I think, episode number two. It was back in the day, yeah. So it's funny, like I, I hear some of the quotes thrown back at me from the older episodes, so that was cool. Um, let's let's hook into basic gear purchasing. Um, I'm happy to go in whatever order you like. I have identified, like you just did, uh, the two probably most expensive purchases in your spearfishing arsenal and your equipment bag. Um, I've, I've identified fins and spear guns. Do you want to start with fins? Yeah, sure, certainly. Uh, Fin-wise, when you're first starting out, isn't really a time you need to invest huge amounts of money in your fins you can get by like for myself for instance i was just using an old pair of booking boarding fins that i borrowed off a mate for like two years Mm. and then when i started getting a bit better i started looking into the free diving fins and those kind of things Mm. and then when you even start in the free diving fins you don't need the most spectacular ones the plastic ones are probably going to be a bit better because you're not going to completely destroy them and you get the hang of how to kick the fins mm. before you go up to like glass and fiber um, carbon fiber and those kind of things mm. um, one thing to look for is just yeah a foot pocket that you can then reuse so you're not buying another set of foot pockets down the track when you do want to upgrade a lot of guys get hung up on that fact i know that i wanted interchangeable foot pockets so i could take the plastic blades out and exchange them for um, fiberglass or carbon fiber later on but when i actually ended up selling those fins and i always regretted it i had a pair of oma stingrays and they were plastic blades they were fantastic the foot pockets are great as well really good um, entry-level fin but also quite expensive like relatively compared to a set of boogie boarding fins i think they come in generally somewhere like around the 150 to $200 mark in Australia. Around that, yeah. And um, they are interchangeable, but one thing I don't, I don't, if I was starting out, I wouldn't stress out over getting an interchangeable foot pocket anymore because I would always keep those fins probably for shore diving and doing things that I didn't care about and I'd just buy a new set of foot pockets when I bought the new blades, but then it does add to that purchase as well though. So It certainly does, but hopefully that's far enough down the track that it's not a worry. So I can definitely see that. It would 
definitely comes in handy. Should stop saying definitely, but definitely. Um, <laughs> 100%. Yeah, comes in handy. 100%. You have a pair of fins in that you can trash. So definitely. when I do the rubbish one, the rubbish diving, I've got an old set of fins that I can just <laughs> annihilate and not give a damn. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. it definitely is helpful. 100%. Yeah. 100% definitely. Actionable. <laughs> this could degrade very quickly. I do warn anyone. I'll bring it back on board. I think, like, for me, um, I hear the talk about the boogie boarding fins too. I just think they're awful. Like, if you want to get down even to 10 metres, like when you're starting, they're so, like, not economical. I would just uh, – my thing would be like – like if, you, if you're just having a go and you just want to get your feet in the water and you don't have any money at all, 100% use the boogie boarding fins. If you've got any budget at all though, like I like the freediving fins because if you get stuck in current or you want to get down to 10 metres, I just think they make a huge difference. But what are, you, what are your thoughts? Oh, no, definitely. Um, one pair that is on the market these days that's quite good for that is the – either you look at your base model Boche ones – Mm. or your Rob Allen, and they're around that $100 mark to 120 and the plastic's quite good and they've got decent foot pockets and mm. it's a fin that you can use and use for a long time. Like they're not going to break yep. without having to upgrade them. And it does help to get that whole idea of how to kick and utilising as much energy as you can. And it, it's one of those investments where it is good to spend that little bit more, yep. but you can also in that top five to ten metres, get away with having an absolute piece of shit on your feet. Sorry, a uh, piece of poo on your feet. No, you can say shit on this podcast. So. Oh, excellent. You can I'll say... definitely say shit. <laughs> oh, I was going to beat you too that you beat me. Um, secondhand, uh, would you recommend people buy fins secondhand? It is trickier because it's how the foot pocket fits your foot more than the performance. So buying secondhand blades, definitely something you can do because – particularly in fiberglass blades, it's not something that will break often. Fiberglass is quite a sturdy and resilient material for using for your, your fin blades. Uh, carbon might be trickier because carbon can only flex so many times before it will eventually crack. So secondhand, you don't know how much of that lifespan has been used before you kind of get them for yourself. Uh, but yeah, plastic blades themselves will just keep going for a very, very, very long time. But okay. yeah, just be hard to try the foot pocket on to see if it fits. Cool. I saw a company in America a little while ago and they would um, – you would get a foot pocket that fits and when you paid for it and it's yours, um, you would apply a level of heat to that foot pocket and then put your foot in it or apply heat while your foot's in it and then it would sort of even mould or conform to the shape of your foot even more. Is that an experiment you've tried? Uh, yes, I've had – I have to do it with my Pathos foot pockets. Um, so I just get essentially a small ball and warm water and stick it in there to try and increase the arch on top because I've got a bit of a higher foot. So most foot pockets you can buy that are either rubber or like the C4 plastic ones, you can manipulate a little bit with pressure and heat, but it does take a bit of time. Okay. All right, cool. And it's probably one of those things once you've done it, there's, there's no coming back the other way. It's not easy to bring back, no. Um, mm. Once you stretch it out, it's harder. So for myself, and I'm sure you have the same issue, we're both a bit bigger necked. <laughs> so I have one of my daughter's like soccer balls that I stick in the suit for the first few weeks while it's hanging up. Oh, that's good advice. Get that neck a bit looser. Otherwise, it's a bit too restricting when I dive. I, I can 100% relate to that. Like when you get in a new suit, particularly a thicker suit when you're in a colder water, having a, um, a restrictive suit around any like your rib cage or neck that's very disruptive towards dive performance. Like it, it's just like, um, yeah, it's uncomfortable pressure you don't need. 
definitely. And they, they, you want them to be very firm when you first buy them because they will mm. give. Mm. Um, but, yeah, if it's not giving quick enough, by keeping it wet and putting something in there to hold that pressure on, it will help it to kind of stretch more for you. Like, All right. like you said, if you go too far, eh, not so good. Yeah, cool. So second-hand fins, um, thumbs up maybe not with the foot pockets, but um, there's room for experimentation and, like, even for a good set of freediving plastic fins, it is a fairly substantial purchase. Definitely. Yeah, if you've got a mate that you can borrow his foot pockets when you're yeah. out with him and then you know what sizes to look for, yep. yeah, that could be a workaround. Like, if there's a local um, freediving group in a swimming pool as well around you, particularly if it's geared towards spearfishing, it can be a fantastic opportunity to go and try out different styles of fins. Um, if you go into a retail outlet... I don't think I've ever heard of a spearfishing shop where there's a swimming pool attached where you can get in the water and you can try them. Um, unfortunately, with fins and foot pockets, it's very um, relative to your foot shape, your fitting style, your body size, mass index, all the rest of it. Um, find a good local spearfishing retailer near you and harness their advice, but also if you can get in the pool at some stage and just try some out and get a feel for what you like for your body and your fitting style, that I would 100% recommend doing that especially if you're at the top end of town and you're buying carbon fins for like more than $500. 100%, definitely. Definitely. Today's Loop Spiro podcast is proudly brought to you in partnership with Adreno Spearfishing Supplies. For your next piece of spearfishing equipment, head to adreno.com.au. Flat rate shipping, Australia-wide, huge range of gear. Save $20 on every purchase over $200 when you use the code NoobSpiro. Better yet, drop into their Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne or Perth mega stores. Use the code NoobSpiro to save online or in-store. Check it out, adreno.com.au. Recently, I brought some new equipment online at today's show sponsor, Neptonics.com, and I was super impressed by the quality of the packaging and the before and after sales support. These guys don't muck around. They make awesome, tough, dependable equipment, and their service matches the quality of the equipment they sell. Visit Neptonics.com, use the code NOOB10 to save 10% on anything and everything store-wide. If you're shopping in the USA and you spend more than $99, you get free shipping at Neptonics.com. All right, let's move on to spear guns. Um, huge topic. Um, and, and jeepers, I think in this day and age, like having looked at some of the historical equipment, and I mean, I only started 10 years ago or something, so it's not like I'm a super veteran, but I think we're just so spoiled for equipment. So much. Like when I started out, your options, there was two. <laughs> and you kind of had to flip a coin. It's like, will I get the Rob Allen or will I get the Freediver? <laughs> mm, so hard to pick between these two guns from Durban. <laughs> so difficult. Um, nowadays, there's just an absolute plethora of choice and that makes it even more difficult to gain. Definitely. Definitely. Um, Duncan Henderson says... This is going to turn into a drinking. <laughs> <laughs> Duncan Henderson says there is definitely a minimum amount to spend on your first spear gun. That way it will last you a long time and holds its value even if you don't like it in the end. Now, spear guns are differently priced depending on your currency and in your country. So I want to specify that a lot of the time we're talking about things from an Australian um, spearfishing context and more specifically Queensland. Um, so every country is different. However, we're, we're trying to lay out some sort of broad um, principles and stuff that you can apply wherever you are. With spear guns, there's a sweet spot, I think, especially when you're starting. Uh, like I haven't seen a, a, a good spear gun under $250 in a spearfishing retailer in Australia, um, maybe maybe ever, uh, but very, very rare if it, if it does happen. 
No, it's not particularly common to have them down under that 300 mark uh, just because of what it costs to get them here and then all the bits and pieces. Mm. Um, there are a few and around that three to 400 mark is where you'll start getting into your guns that will last you a long time. Mm. Mm. Uh, main things to look for and what we always tell people is the mechanism and the rail. The muzzle's irrelevant. The handle shape is kind of irrelevant. But as long as you've got a reliable mechanism and a good rail, you'll have an accurate gun that'll not misfire and kill someone by accident. So I guess muzzles and handles are, are, are very much a personal preference thing. Um, one thing I remember from your very first interview was the fact that you like to have a, a formula, like in terms of a spear gun, and you stick to the same brand, handle, muzzle, shaft overhang, and then you like if you want a dirty water gun, you, you might use an 800 barrel, but the overhang's the same, the handle's the same, everything's the same. Then if you use a 1400 gun that's for, you know, open blue water or something like that, you've still got the same recipe. So all you're really doing is scaling up or scaling down your gun, but everything else is consistent and it means increased accuracy. So is that... That is very um, 100%, definitely. Um, I <laughs> don't adhere to that as much as I used to, unfortunately, because I'm always breaking things these days. And the gun that I used to really like is no longer in production. So I, I've been fluctuating recently, and if you've watched the footage, you can see my aim is not as good as it once was because I keep changing. But no, yeah. the, the best way to do it is if you find something that, like Shrek said, that you really like, stick with that. Like um, I remember one of the Noob Spiro interviews with Tim from a while ago. He has a ridiculous overhang on his guns, but for him, it works really, really well. If I pick up his guns, I can't hit the broadside of a barn. Mm. And that's because he uses that same recipe like if he's using a 900 gun, he has a 500 mil overhang from the end on, on, on the shaft. If he uses a 1400 mil gun, his shaft is still 500 mils over it. And that's because the aiming for him is more of a sort of a intuitive triangulation rather than like a strict marksman, like, you know, firearms type methodology. Definitely. <laughs> Uh, I'm just going to go with it. Definitely. I can't believe you, you're no. absolutely killing this. <laughs> okay, I'm putting it out there. If you want a drinking game, listen to this podcast. And every time I say that word, as long as I'm not liable for blood poisoning, drink. Definitely. Definitely. Mm. Um, so with spear guns, though, why shouldn't people buy the more entry-level spear guns? So you've, you've, you've identified this price point where the good quality guns start, and I think every country is going to have that same thing. But there's these guns beneath that price point that exist, and sometimes there's very cheap spear guns. Why, in your mind, should people not buy them? Well, you can buy them. I won't stop you. In fact, if you come to the shops where I work, I'll happily sell you 12. Mm. Um, <laughs> but I'll talk to you through it and try and convince you away from them. So these guns exist for a specific purpose mm. of being able to try out the sport. Yeah. Just see if you like it, see what if it's something you might want to get into. It's kind of for the perfect thing. You're on a snorkeling holiday somewhere, you want to try spearfishing, you get a $60 gun, jump in the water. The thing is going to break 100%, but you can just keep get that feel for it without having to spend a whole lot up front. Um, but it's not something that you kind of want to look at getting if it's a sport that you're genuinely interested in. Cool. All right. Um, okay, so we've got our minimum price point. People are going to buy something decent. I, I went below that price point, which is why I'm a little bit stressy on it. I went and bought a, a gun and, and, the, and Sam at Adreno Brisbane told me, you'll be back in six months and you're going to buy the spear gun. And... I bought the spear gun that I wanted because it was within my budget and I was on tight parameters. And I missed fish, 
I wounded fish. And, like, I, I just like the opportunities you get. Like, you, you spend all this effort holding your breath, getting yourself down on this perfect terrain where all these fish are. You get that one opportunity that you're not going to get again for another long time and bang, you shoot your gun and it's just a piece of shit. It, it does happen. That's where, um, what I'll try and explain to people when they're looking at them is sometimes it might be better off just to get a $15 to $20 hand spear because mm. um, that also reduces a whole lot of the complications with the gun. So you can just focus on your diving and getting close to the fish and that way you've got your $120, $130 you were going to spend in your budget still there for the next time you come in mm. and then you can use that to get the gun that you can have forever. Mm. Um, and circling back to that losing gear part again, when you do get a spear gun, it's one of the reasons it's good to start with a float and a float line because mm. you don't want to lose that three to $400 investment. Mm. on the first trip out. Yeah, perfect. Love it. So st steer clear of real guns, rig line and float, which we'll get to in a sec as well. Um, love it. Um, secondhand spear guns can be a little bit trickier than fins in my opinion um, because a lot of times people are just selling you stuff that they don't want and sometimes they don't want it for a reason. Uh, it's one of those ones to, if you're looking at secondhand guns, go in and talk to the people or talk to club members or people who work in the shops and those kind of things just to find out which guns have that longevity mm. and those particular guns you can kind of look into and not be too stressed about and ones where it's easy to get replacement parts and that kind of mm. thing. Guns are also a – spear guns are also a, a hard item to search for on social media and increasingly so on Google as well because uh, there's this ideology and this sort of discouragement of any sort of gun talk these days. Obviously, we're using spear guns, which are – specifically for an underwater application. However, people go out and buy spear guns and shoot people or other people on the street with them. So Facebook... Not me. <laughs> no, not me either. <laughs> I would never but do such a thing. Probably no spear I would, but nevertheless, so now if you search for spear gun on Facebook, you'll find nothing. But if you search for fishing equipment with the particular brand name of a spear gun you like, then it, it is possible that that will come up. And also Craigslist and Gumtree, uh, there's still secondhand spear guns for sale. If you go looking for them, they are there. Yeah, it's all in the phrasing uh, with the different algorithms and community standards. But yeah, if you put the word gun on the internet, it's kind of like uh, when you're trying to sell something, think of the things you would yell out loud on a plane <laughs> and that'll usually allow you to get past the algorithms. <laughs> Definitely. All right, um, let's move on. We'll get into maintenance and stuff um, soon, but we'll just get through the equipment first. So um, booties. Um, booties are a relatively cheaper end of the spectrum. Yep. You can get away with just your old rugby socks if you want to, but yep. in winter you do start to get cold. Um, main one with booties is to invest in a pair of shoes that you can then wear over them that float. Uh, just so you're not absolutely decimating your booties walking to your destination. So yeah. in Australia, we mostly use Crocs or Croc-like shoes because even when you're shore diving, they float. You can string your, your rig line through them and just have them up at your float. So up and out of the way, then you get back, throw them on, walk back up. Yep. So yeah, walking in them is the biggest killer for your booties. Crocs are kind of a, um, a fantastic bit of footwear, whether you're on the boat or you're shore diving. Um, they're not fashionable. Um, but they are excellent. And uh, Trevor's just showing his uh, model ones here if you're watching the YouTube video. Um, most of them are made in Vietnam. I love them. I, then I'm not sponsored by them. Uh, we should be. It should be News Spirit Podcast as sponsored by Crocs. You should. 
I can't see an issue with them. They're good for everything. <laughs> Booties, though, um, if you're in colder water, you're probably looking at five mil, definitely at least a three mil. Um, they're, they're, they're a disposable item. They're going to fail 100%. It's just a matter of when. And um, I don't like some of the cheap ones because they balloon out and they fill with water. I like to tuck them underneath, you know, the inside of my um, wetsuit bottoms and that way they, they do less of that. But even if you've got them stuffed in there and they've these horrible balloon-type materials and they're not very elastic in the right places, they're, they're just awful. And um, you get a brand, you tend to stick with them, buy a few pairs at a time. That way when when they fail, even if they've got holes in it, you can still use them. Yeah, one, one of the tricks, uh, you, you probably won't want to do it in like Tasmania, but up here is we put a little hole between your big toe and your middle toe, and that allows the urine to seep out <laughs> so they don't balloon up as much. And you don't need much of a hole, just a small hole. Um, but don't do it on the boat or you can, like with your dive knife, or you end up cutting one of your toes. Don't cut your toes. Not ideally, no. Okay. Unless you didn't like that toe, in which case you're allowed to cut your own toe. I won't judge or stop yeah, you. Definitely, I won't either. Um, gloves. Now, same, same sort of rationale here. Um, obviously, if you're in colder water, you might want some uh, warmth, so getting some... Uh, some, some neoprene ones or um, there's Kevlar weave neoprene. There's all sorts of flashings you can do now. But um, they're also an item that fail a lot, particularly if you're grabbing lobsters and other interesting stuff that tastes good. Uh, but they they wear them out. And um, if you're in warmer water, though, I love the, like the, I think, I don't know who invented them, but they're, they're great for the finger dexterity and you get them from your hardware stores like we, we get them from Bunnings here. Yeah, they're the old glazier's gloves from about, 20 years ago and they've slowly been being used by more and more so it's a woven Dyneema fabric that they then put rubber on and a lot of dive companies are bringing their own ones out now which is good and they're great for warm water when you're in cold water you, you tend to get a bit frozen hands so the, the you can look at if you're doing a lot of that hard wearing stuff the Kevlar gloves will last longer but they are horribly uncomfortable for the first like 10 trips because they're really resilient resistant but that does give after a while. Um, the other one that one of my mates does is buy those hardware gloves in a ridiculously large size and then uses his neoprene glove underneath and then puts that glove over the top and that kind of the wear comes out of that safety glove instead of his neoprene one. I'm already wearing two XL ones. If I wore neoprene underneath it, I don't know, I've got ogre hand sausage fingers. You're just showing off now. You know what they say about large hands. Well, it's not true. <laughs> they make fish look smaller. I don't know what you were talking about. They do. They 100% do. They make everything look smaller. Um, mask. So um, masks, obviously we've chatted a fair bit about masks. In fact, you and I have done a full equipment episode before that is actually only a patron-only exclusive Ooh, episode. Fancy. So, But for the benefit of people that haven't listened to that patron-only episode, um, Buying a mask. That is one of the few where you cannot cheap out. Um, or you can if you're lucky. Uh, the mask is irrelevant for value. Uh, it's how it fits your face. So you just want one that fits really comfortably and doesn't leak or it can absolutely ruin your day. So whether that's a $50 mask or if you're unlucky and it's a $300 mask that fits you, it, you're kind of stuck with the one that suits you. Mm. Is there a general rule of thumb like... Um, obviously, we like to get, you know, the, some people think that they want the single lens. Some people, you know, like the twin lens. Um, volume's also an issue that's discussed a lot. So in the spearfishing side of things, in or freediving, I should say, even though we're like freediving but not, uh, low volume comes in handy. 
And that then kind of negates the single versus dual lens thing because on the low volume, the lenses are so close to your eyes anyway, having that bridge in the middle is irrelevant because your brain makes the difference disappear. Mm. It's amazing what the human mind will do. Mm. Um, so you don't have to worry so much. The, in the scuba or the high volume masks, having that gap in the middle makes certain people feel more comfortable. You still don't need it, but when the lens is that far away from your eyes, it does come in handy. Mm. Uh, downside to the bridged one free diving is because that area can't flex or move, you end up with pressure on the forehead where mm. that bit of glass is, which could lead to headaches. Some of the free diving uh, masks are not suitable for spearfishing too, though, like the real high end of the sport ones I'm talking about because the lenses have issues for us, don't they? You could use them. The really, really good free diving masks will actually flex as you go down, and unfortunately as they flex, they distort your view. So you end up not being able to focus particularly well or aim. Mm. Uh, the Sphera is a magnificent mask for freediving, but because it's curved and perspex, if you look at it wrong, it gets scratched. Mm. And as you go down, it flexes and you cannot aim. I've, I've tried to use one. I got motion sick by about lunchtime. <laughs> yeah, well, your, your brain's trying to make adjustments for it to, um, like you sort of identified, like... Um, our brain sort of like our, our, the way our brain works with our vision, it fills in the blanks. And um, unfortunately, when your mask is adjusting like that, your brain's still trying to make adjustments for it. So, yeah, so steer clear of it for sure. 100%. Like reality <laughs> isn't merely your interpretation of what your eyes are giving you, yep. it's not actually what you see. Welcome to the Matrix. <laughs> it's all fake. Isn't it funny what you learn about physics, though, because of spearfishing? You kind of have to, or you break yourself one of those ones you, you you can get away with just kind of winging it for so long but then at a certain point you have to go and find someone who knows something and goes by the way why does this happen <laughs> yeah true and yeah vision's such a funny thing too you, you take your gopro off at the end of the dive day you look at the footage and it just doesn't look the same as what it did to you when you were in the moment no and the one that i hate the most is when you get tunnel vision and there was an epic fish just there and you <laughs> did not see it you put the footage on you go oh oh my we're going to get to gopros in a minute um if you are budget conscious it's probably not on your radar so snorkels uh it's essentially a tube that you stick in your mouth and air comes through um make sure it's not too long but most manufacturers won't get that long because then the carbon dioxide builds up and you can have issues yeah. Um, but apart from that, there's a few different features and I know I bought a slightly more expensive snorkel with a purge valve mm. because I'm prone to seasickness and having that salt constantly in your mouth, like in most things that are salty and in your mouth, it doesn't really help with making you feel well. It's got some, um, some PTSD as well for you. Like, uh... Only in this mask. It now has a hole. My <laughs> old mask was safer. The other thing with um, those masks is like the mouthpiece is quite important and um, if you're anything like Trevor, he goes around the store every time he works and he actually puts every single snorkel in his mouth so that people will always remember him. <laughs> of course I do. No, no, um, we would get in a lot of trouble if I did that. But yeah, no, finding one that is comfortable um, and the other one is learning and this comes to like prolonging your gear is to only have it softly in your mouth. It's very easy when you're getting... Um, uncomfortable or as a hard day to kind of instinctively chew yeah, and that just decimates the mouthpieces. Yeah, cool. All right, so good comfortable bore. Purge valves aren't necessarily written off. There's that um, the wave protection flap that sort of sits over the top of some of them as well. I tend to not like them because they, they wobble around when I'm descending. Oh, they're horrific. Uh, 
and, and as you should for safety, like what Shrek just touched on, you should be spitting it out. Mm. You shouldn't have it in your mouth. So that's where the standard rubberized J-tracks are good because they're not going to give you a mild um, percussive tapping on your head the whole way down. Yeah, yeah. You happy with snorkel? I think so. Um, right. Yeah, just find one that you like. Like from a $15, uh, yeah. a 20 a, a $5 snorkel is going yep. to do the same job as an $80 snorkel. It's a good idea to find one you like and buy another one too. Same with the mask. It's nice to have one sitting there. It's already pre-treated because with the mask you've got that. It, it, I still think it's a layer left over from the manufacturing process that you've got to essentially burn off and rub out with toothpaste. And if you've got a mask, a backup mask sitting there because the strap can break on your dive day if um, it's already been pre-treated and you're good to go. Otherwise, it's it can ruin your dive day as simple as a mask strap. It's nice to have a spare one sitting there. A snorkel is equally as equally well lost as a as, as a mask is broken, even if you're using the rubber grommets that we all like. Um, like James, who I like diving with, he just he never uses anything. He just puts the snorkel underneath his mask strap. And that's how he rolls. I tried that once. The pressure gave me a headache. Um, but I'm obviously cheaper than you. I just carry a spare mask strap. Yeah. Um, and I've had a few trips where I've been kind of having to freestyle on the surface and you just kind of look and then take your breath and then look again and then take your breath. Uh, but wow. if you had the money after you've done all your budgeting, it would yeah. be good to have spares of those. When I was diving in New Zealand a couple of years ago now with Pat Swanson, he forgot his mask. We shared a mask for a dive. <laughs> that was fun. All I uh, had was like images of trying to buddy breathe. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that does bring back scuba memories. Handmade spear guns from the USA, killshotspearguns.com, have made rugged, functional, simple spear guns utilizing the best components. Check them out at killshotspearguns.com. Save $30 on any timber spear gun. Use the code NOOB. Visit killshotspearguns.com. If your buddy had a blackout on your next spearfishing trip, think, what would the outcome of that be? Do you know how to revive someone from a blackout? Would you even be in a position to do something about it? Or would you be diving, chasing after a fish as your buddy sinks down to the bottom of the ocean? Do you know where most blackouts happen? Do you know what you can do to minimize your risk of having a blackout? My name is Ted Hardy, and I'm the founder of freedivingsafety.com. In my free online course, you will learn the truth about shallow water blackout, the myth of I don't push myself, I know my limits, I'm in tune with my body, how to minimize your risk of having a blackout, and most importantly, how to save your buddy's life if they have one. Visit freedivingsafety.com to sign up for your free course today. Dive safe out there. It's, it's not even that hard. Weights and weight belts. So Sam Clothier says, he's the wet mammal, by the way, on YouTube. He says, um, reclaim line fishermen's weights, melt them down for your own upcycled dive weights. Um, so he says you can buy a mould for about $40. You can um, buy a pot to ruin said weights for about $15. And then you just, just don't tell the wife. <laughs> and then you simply put the weights, the lead sinkers inside uh, the pot, heat it over a gas cooker and melt it down. It does take a little while. Uh, make sure you scrap the crap off the um, lead weights before you try and melt them down, otherwise it'll be in the mix with it. And then um, pour it into the mould. That's about it, is it? Pretty much. You just don't want to like, wear a decent mask while you're doing it for the fumes. And if you do miss a few of the bits that are going to go into the mix, most of it will float because the lead's denser, you can kind of just scrape it off the top. But, yeah, the fumes are hectic. Not something I'd recommend doing inside the house unless you have a very understanding wife slash roommate. Sorry, partner, I should say, in this modern age. 
or alternatively could use it as a strategy to remove said uh, housemate? Um, in most modern worlds, it would be you getting removed. Uh, so it may backfire. But yes, you would no longer have the same uh, person you shared your house with. Yeah. Uh, but you might be like outside with a lead weight in a swag. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. All right. So um, buy a secondhand scuba gear. It was a lot more available than freediving gear back in the day and always did the trick. This is um, Sam's recommendations. He loves the bright yellow split fins, uh, which were very popular back in the day. Are they still popular? I can't get into this too much without getting in trouble. But I hate them. But theoretically, in a perfect world, split fins work. But yeah. as soon as you have current or any issues, split fins can be an issue. Ooh, we had oh, a ding ding. I've got, I've got another guest here. We've got Captain Dan Walsh who's dropped in. Hello. Here he is. Hey, Dan. I think we broke it. Oh, we broke, broke it. it. We broke did it. He broke it. It's Captain Dan Walsh. I think well, he's muted. Welcome to the episode. Welcome to the episode, Dan. Um, we might get some input from Dan in a minute. So we were talking about um, the, the, the split fins that you get from scuba. Oh, but no, you could use them starting out. Uh, split fins in particular kind of struggle under heavy load, but you definitely could. And he's very correct there, particularly with um, weights and weight belts. Even though they're fabric ones, so they're not ideal for spearfishing, you can get a lot of cheap weights from people who have bought their whole scuba kit 10, 15 years ago and just not had a chance to use it. And the lead's not going anywhere. So Yeah. And uh, it's also a good chance to talk a little bit about Trevor's group. It's called Rubbish Spiros on Facebook. Uh, a little bit ironic title. As usual, Trevor's doing something cheeky. But um, if you join Rubbish Spiros on Facebook, a bunch of people post pictures of the rubbish they salvage when they're heading out diving, particularly shore diving, and the waterway cleanups they do. It's a really cool effort. I'd encourage you to join about 1,200 other people on there that are, that are just steadily cleaning up their dive spots. It's a, it's a really cool initiative. And um, occasionally there's prizes for people that um, submit their, their rubbish picks and it's a cool initiative. So Rubbish Spiro is on Facebook. It'll be linked up in today's show notes, which will be noobspiro.com forward slash tightass. So and it's the um, kind of dock of death pick you can still get away with, like a whole dock just strewn with rubbish. Um, <laughs> no one's going to complain about that. You don't even need context. You could have like only one bloke and 7,000 pieces and people would be like, excellent. <laughs> you can have as much rubbish on that dock as you can fit. Yeah, yeah, cool. All right, weight belts. Um, so weight belts are an area where a lot of people are tempted to try and save too much money and they buy canvas or they try and use something that's not really purpose-made. Uh, what's your recommendations with weight belts? Because I'm a stickler for rubber. Uh, rubber is by far the most effective weight belt. In saying that, I started out with the middle seat belt from a HQ ute <laughs> um, and used that for a few years just because I didn't have the money at the time to buy the weight belt. Um, so it's something you can kind of just string together with a bit of cord or rope. The, lead, mm. the weight's the most important. And then when you do have the money... Don't buy a $20 one, just buy that $40, $50 kind of rubber one so that as you're going down and your body is compressing and getting smaller, the rubber elasticity will move with you. Otherwise, you get halfway down in your dive and next thing your weight belt's up under your armpits and it can be incredibly frustrating or it's spun around and your knife's now on the other side. One thing I notice when I teach uh, new people is they always sort of wear the belt too high and it's like, um, you know, the, when you learn how to breathe properly, you really don't want anything around your stomach or even in your lower stomach area. You want that weight belt around your hips and, um, and you don't want it to ride up because it's, it's, it's quite disruptive when you're used to just no interference. It's, you feel very free when the weight is just there and it's not moving. 
Yeah. Now you definitely want to have it down. Like, cause I have a dodgy back. Mine's like right down. Like, you know, where it's really attractive photos where men are actually fit and they have that V kind of thing. I don't have that, but that's kind of the area where you kind of want to have it. Yeah. Cool. Cool. And, uh, the, the buckle, obviously, you know, a lot of people talk a lot about the quick release system. What's your uh, preference with regards to the buckle? Uh, nowadays, it's less important than it used to be. Uh, with the new, even the Marseille buckles, they will quick release because they're setting the pin higher up in the rubber. So mm. the rubber actually pushes that and forces it open. Yep. So these days, it just depends on what you prefer. I have to use quick release with the adjustable buckle because my waist size fluctuates depending on cake for the month. Oh, yep, yep. Um, but yeah. if you stay at a fairly normal amount... Um, without fluctuating too much, then Marseille will work. So that's the one that is kind of like a normal belt buckle with the pin. I'm a fluctuator too, so you're in good company. Oh, it's just it, cake's just too easy to attain these days <laughs> and too yummy. Definitely. Um, right, let's get into floats. Um, I just wanted to have a check in with Captain Dan Walsh there. I'm going to see if. Uh, Dan's got some input so far on the equipment. Dan, we've got through just about everything. We're talking at the moment specifically about purchasing uh, equipment and we're up to the float section. Have you got any input on floats? Oh, uh, I, you know what? You're probably more well qualified than I am. I, I use more of a uh, real gun. But I, let me go back to the weight belts for just a second, if you don't mm. mind. No, go for it. As you know, I'm, I've been a scuba instructor since before you were born. So, <laughs> um, so I, I, obviously, I use a rubber weight belt, and uh, and I use uh, the buckle type uh, release or, or buckle with the pin. Um, but uh, so I have seen some Spiros; they are using the canvas belts. I worked for a company called Aquacraft, and God knows how many tens of thousands of those things we made. What I would tell people, because typically the weights slide around on those things is to put the belt through the first uh, slot on your weight mm. and flip the, flip the belt and put it the other way. And it makes almost like a little bit of a knot that'll kind of keep the, keep the weight in the place where you want it to be. And uh, if that's, that's just been a little thing that I've always told people to do. And it's, it's probably a well-known thing, but maybe, I don't know, maybe not to someone that's new. If they're going to use a, a, a can, or, you know, a belt that's not rubber. I've never thought of that. That's brilliant. I'm going to experiment with that. Thank mm. you. Oh, it works. Yeah, so as far as the as far as the, the floats, um, you know, the last time I used one was uh, probably two years ago, and it was just a, I think it was a I can't remember it was a JBL. I know we got a company here in San Diego that makes really good ones, and uh, but uh, the fact is that when I go out, I'm using more of a more of a, my just a real gun than a, than a float. So I, I, you know, I have a float line, but I'm not going to say that I'm really good to use it to talk about it. I think, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to come back to you in a minute, Dan, but for the moment I'm just going to mute you for the purposes of sound quality, so we'll come back in a sec. But with, uh, with floats, I think whenever you're starting spearfishing, unless you're diving in very thick kelp or in artificial structure all the time, you, you should really start with, with a float or a buoy and a, and a rig line because it makes you visible, you can let the spear gun go and you can just look after yourself and, and that whole rig will be there when you recover or someone else can recover it for you. If you shoot a fish and it's too big for you, you can let everything go, you don't have to worry about anything and other boats can see you very easily. Um, if you somehow get separated from your dive buddy or your dive boat, you're also much easier to find and uh, until you've really got used to all of the complications and the things and you've got your mind around it, I 100% recommend sticking with a, with a float or a buoy and a, and a rig line. Um, 
and but sometimes they are they do add a, a little bit of an expense, but it's comparable with you've either got to have a reel with a reel line or you've got to have a float and a rig line. So it, both expenses expenses are, are, are fairly equal, I, I would say, Trevor. Uh, yeah, but you can get floats a lot cheaper than rigs reel lines. Um, but definitely, 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 when you're starting out, you are better off with a rig line and a float. You'll not only land more fish, you'll reduce the stress on yourself and be able to focus more on kind of getting to the diving side of things. Um, but yeah, for cheap floats, just check the legislation in your area. But in a lot of places, you can get away with just stringing three crab pot floats together and an old bit of like line that you had lying in the shed. You don't have to get the really fancy ones starting mm-hmm. out. And you can get those, uh, they're just a foam, hard foam ball, you can, or you can get a bright, brightly coloured one or you can um, paint it yourself. Um, you can get them at marine supplies companies. It's often a really cheap way to, to just to just do it if you are looking to save money. I would still recommend having one. Um, if you're just trying to use a spear gun with just your shooting line to stop a fish, um, you're, not, you're not doing yourself a favour. If you shoot any fish of any sort of size and you don't either have a rig line and a float or a reel on there, you're likely to lose the gun or, or perhaps drown. So... Yeah, no, no fish is worth death. Um, but no, that, that's one of the main reasons, like Shrek said, having that rig line gives you so many more options to look after yourself mm, mm. Um, than the reel on the gun. Cool, cool. Um, so moving up, um, quite like if you're in a spearfishing shop, there's two sort of common options. They offer you like a bullet style hard float or there's the really hard floats or there's these inflatable ones, and some of them have integrated flags, or they or they have an add-on flag. What's your preference, and what do you recommend? It depends. Um, if you're doing a lot of travelling, those inflatable ones are great, and the, some of the brands in particular do last a very long time. If you're looking to get one that you can have forever, the foam-filled plastic or lycra kind of not lycra um, vinyl ester yeah vinyl stuff yeah yeah the outside. Um, they're something you buy and will still be there in 100, 200 years. Uh, that also has the downside that it will continue to be there for like two, three, four, <laughs> 500 yeah. years. But at least like four generations down the track, the Sphero can still use that float. Yep. Um, so, no, those ones are a lot more hard-wearing. Like, for instance, my first float I bought was one of the old Rob Allen ones and it's still going. Mm. I like those much better than the super hard plastic ones, which I've also had. Or the – what are they? They're like a – Almost like a hardened, um, like, um, what's the material? Uh, They're an injected mould plastic that they then foam fill. Okay. So they're the ones that are like super rigid. But they're not they're not hydrodynamic often. And you tow them behind a boat and you or you like you're moving between dive spots or even if you're going out through the surf, uh, when you're shore diving, they just they they put a lot of pressure on your shooting line or uh, or oh, sorry, on your rig line. And I yeah, I didn't I didn't like them. Now, unfortunately, simplicity of manufacturing has overtaken design in the last 10 years. Um, there used to be a few that were made locally in Australia, ones like Mick Costa floats and things like that. They were actually shaped like a hull and had V and they were angled up at the front so they'd tow more easily behind mm. you. But because of the manufacturing involved and the price, uh, now that everything's more mass-produced, unfortunately, those kind of floats have fallen to the wayside. If anyone has the manufacturing expertise, it is a niche in the market that could be exploited. Fortunately, I don't have those skills. It would be remiss of me to mention too, like a lot of the times when guys are starting and they are looking to save money and they'll be the people that listen to this episode, uh, they're often shore diving. 
And shore diving comes with its own requirements in terms and other benefits in terms of using a float as well. Um, and particularly in the UK, I noticed they use a lot of banks board or, you know, like a boogie board style float where you can not only store your fish out of the water in it, but you can also put yourself on it. And some of them are designed so that you can more or less fin and the float design allows for very efficient movement over longer distances than just merely swimming when towing something behind you. Do you have any thoughts and recommendations with regards to these style floats? Oh, Definitely. Uh, I've got to stop saying that. Uh, so what I used to do when I was doing more competition diving is, and what a lot of guys do because we're a bit cheap, there are the really good ones you can buy, but we just zip tie two pool noodles to the front of an old boogie board and tow that, and that worked quite good. And the pool noodles helped with the breaking waves. And then you just have like a fish bag or we used to just go grab two hessian bags from usually oyster farmers or coffee shops and you just keep wetting them for the day. And that way... For the price of about $30, you have a large float that you can put your drinks on, have another gun on, that kind of thing. I was just going to ask Dan, because uh, it's great having a North American here, because he can translate. Dan, what is a pool noodle? <laughs> okay, a pool noodle is made of a, uh, it's probably about four feet long. It's maybe about three inches in diameter. Fantastic. And it's, and it's, uh, it's, it's made of a, a, like a foamy type, uh, it's like a plastic foam combination. Love it, love and it. You, you kids can kind of sit on them and make like a U-shaped thing when they sit yeah. on it. It floats them. And right. they come in a bunch of different colors and all that sort of stuff. And I, I can also add on the float now, but when you're ready. Yeah, cool. I was just going to say, I just wanted to make sure it translated because, you know, like you, you buy a bodyboard or a boogie board and then you can zip tie or you can arrange these um, pool noodles at the front to provide some protection and shelter and things like that from your, for your catch. Um, but I wanted to make sure that it was clear to our North American audience because pool noodle, uh, while it's very common parlance in the Southern Hemisphere, maybe it is not up that way. So what were your thoughts with regards to these uh, floats or buoys, Dan? Yeah, well, actually, and also the pool noodles kind of made almost the same stuff a boogie board is. Um, the float that you referred to, I think the final one, which was the uh, injected molded one, molded injected, um, those are lifeguard floats here, you know, in, in our part of the world. Yep. And the San Diego lifeguards, everyone uses those. In fact, when I was running the Spirit of Adventure dive boat, uh, that was a rescue board, a rescue float. And they're, they're not really, you know, they're, I guess they're okay to use for spearfishing, but they're not really made for that. Mm. They've got a big, like, a place where you put your hand at each end. You know, for you, the, the, the left guard holds on to one, and the rescuer or the rescue e holds on the other. Um, but they're not they're not aerodynamic because of that plastic the handle that's in there. So uh, I would I would look for something else, even the cheaper one, like you mentioned, that it has a little flag in it and all that. Mm, cool. All right, we're gonna we're gonna move on. Thanks, Dan. I'm gonna mute you again, and we'll we'll keep going. Are you in the market for a new spear gun? Killshot Spear Guns has got. Blue Water Wahoo Tuna Guns, Open Track Spear Guns, Enclosed Track Spear Guns, Rear Handle Enclosed Tracks. Check them out at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Even better, I've got some good news for you. You can save $30 on any Killshot Spear Gun at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Use the code NOOB. If you're in store, just say, Crikey, mate! Or say Shrek from the Noob Spiro sent you, and you'll save $30. Ed Martin at KillshotSpearGuns.com. Check them out. Right, so dive knives. Dive knives are uh, a bugbear, and it's quite easy to make mistakes with them, with where you store them on your body, but also in terms of um, some purchasing. Like um, dive knives now go to the, you know, you can spend a couple hundred dollars, I think, on a dive knife. 
Yes. No, I think my one's about 150, but that has lasted me about 11 years. Oh, wow. Okay. So the, the, it's one of those false economies. You can buy a $120 knife or you can buy one like $50 to $60 knife and look after it and it will still be there forever. And what we were touching on before is what we jokingly call the Wayne Judge special where I work. <laughs> And that's the shock cord through the handle that then loops underneath the end of the sheath. Yep. And that way it can't come out without you putting your thumb through the shock cord and unhooking it and then grabbing it. Yeah, cool. Um, Reese Clay says, some gear has diminishing return on investment, notably dive knives which can be lost so easily. A $50 dive knife like the Omer Laser is excellent quality. On the other side of the coin is a $10 dive knife which will probably break in a big fish's skull and definitely... Well, he didn't say this, but I will add it. Like, it will definitely rust up a lot faster than some of the better quality knives. A hundred percent. Unfortunately, the level of stainless you can have where it's still resilient enough and um, has enough tensile strength to hold the sharpen and hold that edge isn't as high as it could be to kind of resist rust. Mm. Unfortunately, the better the stainless, <clears throat> sorry, the higher the stainless quality, the softer it becomes. So it's finding that balance. And in the cheaper knives, that level of stainless is incredibly expensive as a material. So it's usually, some of them I even think it might just be an advertising thing where the company's called stainless. Yeah. And that's how they get away with saying it's a stainless knife because some of the cheaper ones will rust incredibly quickly. Mm. Dive knives, the other, I mean, we're not doing a technique episode here today, but with storage with regards to your knife, um, do you like integrated knife pockets on your wetsuit? Do you like it on your weight belt? Do you like it on your arm in a sheath, on your leg in a sheath? What's your preference and why? I used to run it on my leg, but then when I did my back in, I'm not as flexible to kind of get down and grab it. So now I have it on my hip. Mm. Um, and maintenance-wise, essentially when you get back home, give it a really good wash and don't store it, unless you have small children everywhere, try not to store it in the sheath because then if there is any little bits of salt in there, that constant contact between the sheath, the salt, and the blade causes it to rust a lot farther. Mm. Faster, not farther. Mm-hmm. I don't have any Freudian issues if anyone's <laughs> watching. Um, and uh. having that air circulate around it allows it to dry off and kind of not hold moisture, which will extend the life of your knife. What's the other dodgy one? Oh, cheap way to de-rust your knife is just if you're shore diving or near the beach, just stab the living daylights out of the beach again and again and again, and that sand will take that rust back off and then go Ooh. home and clean it. Yeah, right. It just looks really suspicious as someone's like walking their dog and here's a guy in like a full neoprene suit and a gimp mask stabbing the sand, but <laughs> it does help with getting that edge back on there. If you have forgotten and you've pulled it out of your bag and it's a bit wrecked, you can kind of touch it up in the sand. <laughs> Love it. Okay, I think that's pretty much me for for dive knives for now. I wanted to to move on to gear bags and discuss um, why you want to have a good gear bag. I've kind of moved away these days from having a really good gear bag. I'm more focused on just having a good tub because uh, if we're going out on a boat, it just goes from my tub to the deck of the boat and then it's easy storage. But um, a, a good gear bag... Um, I've gone through a couple over the years that the zips give up on me first. Trevor, what's your uh, opinion on bags? Uh, for a long time now, I've just been using dry bags, just the ones you can get from your local shop, just because that clip lasts a long time. And that way, when you put all your stuff in it at the end of the day, roll it up, throw it in your car, it's good. When you're on someone's boat, once it's empty, it takes up zero space. Um, I'm still of the mindset from diving on things like sea skis and that for a while. You wear everything that is yours. 
the only thing that you put in the boat that isn't on you is your mask, your gun and your fins and food and water if you're that way inclined. What about the old weight belt though, banging around and... I buy PVC coated weights for that reason wow. as a guy who was a boat loaner for a while and always having to patch up all these scratches and dings and dents and just destroying the flow coat. I find by having the PVC, you can put the belt down without having to worry about destroying their boat. Costs a little bit more, unfortunately. The other one is you can tape them all up. Yeah, yeah. But then it makes them difficult to move and adjust if you need to as well. So there is a – but, yeah. Um, is there a DIY sort of thing you could do apart from tape with to make the weights better? Uh, one of the guys I used to work in the um, – trying to think of the right word, like freight and storage industry, were yep. warehousing. He used the shrink wrap on them okay. and that worked quite well. But I could see that also being an issue. But I like, I'm the opposite. I like my book to set my weights where they need to be and keep them there. Cool. We've just had Nicholas join us. So I think, Nick, you're, are you there, mate? I don't know how technology works. He's not works. with us yet. But it's a pleasure to meet you, Nicholas. Yes. Welcome. While we're waiting for Nicholas, uh, Riza Ali says, uh, Riza's here... Riza here from Trinidad and Tobago in the Caribbean. That sounds awesome. Yeah, it does. The best way to save money, in my opinion, is get the bare minimum gear, but make sure it's good quality. Scrap the nice to have. So don't worry about a GoPro or a dive watch. You don't need a wetsuit if you're diving in warmer waters and you're not staying out for too long. He says, learn to shore dive. It's free. And um, he also says in his part of the world, connect with the local restaurant and sell some of your fish. Uh, this brings up another big ethical question. However, it's not legal where we are, Riza, but um, where you are, you know, if, if it's legal and, 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 and it's right, you should do so, then I can completely understand that subsidising some of the cost of, um, of what you're doing. Yeah, we, we can't do it here and I can understand why, um, just because we've got a bit more pressure on the fish, I guess. Yep. Um, but if it is something you can do, I can't see an issue with it, as long as it's not to the point where you're actually trying to profitise from doing it. If it's something where it's like, oh, I've just taken this fish in, they're going to cook it and, and I'm going to have some, they have some. I can see that kind of sharing and like, I'm um, oh, trying to think of the right word, but kind of like uh, culturally sharing things between people. A bartering. That, yeah, that can do. Yep. Um, yeah, it's, a, it's, a, it's another big discussion that we'll get to at some part in the future, I'm sure. I, I, liked, I liked some of his ideas. Like um, you don't need all the extra stuff. Dive watches, fantastic. Uh, fantastic bit of technology, but they are expensive and you, you don't need them starting out for sure. So Well, I currently don't have one. I haven't had one for about two years just because it's an expense that I haven't been able to get. Yeah. Um, just trying to get that. And that's a very good point of what he said. Like even starting out, your main ones that when you're starting out that you do need – is your decent gun and a decent mask. Mm. Everything else you can kind of get by. Like I spent time just swimming around with rocks in my wetsuit for weights because I couldn't buy them. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, just your main important things are kind of a good mask and a good gun or hand spear. We're going to move into discussing some more of this other equipment and uh, I guess another big part of spearfishing is boats. And, uh, and The worst also- financial decision you ever make, but they bring you a lot of joy. <laughs> Let's go to... At Southern Spearfishing on Instagram, left me a voice message. James was kind enough to offer me his opinion about being a tight-ass spear. Let's have a listen. There is only one tip on saving money with boats. Do not get a boat. Get friends with boats. Find all the friends with all the boats. But the easiest way to save tens of thousands of dollars is to not 
by a boat. <laughs> so thanks, James, for that. Chris Fitzgerald also says, the ultimate tip for saving money, don't buy a boat. Talk to one of your mates into buying a boat instead. And then Reese Clay says, if you do buy a boat, which most sparrows do, at least here in Queensland, try to get something cheap but not too cheap. He says, my 4.2-metre alley boat only costs about $1,000 per year in maintenance and I split the cost with my brother. Most people smirk at the old girl at the boat ramp, but I don't care because I get out everywhere I want to. I just do so quite slowly. And um, Trevor, you have had some boats. You've had some boat incidents. You've had some boat costs. And I want to actually highlight today, Trevor is currently running a GoFundMe page. Um, and as the, uh, the, how would we say it? the impresario behind the Rubbish Spiros page. Trevor often uses his boat for collecting rubbish and he runs trips and involves himself in cleaning up the local waterways all the time. Um, if you come to today's show notes, noobspiro.com forward slash Trevor's Motor. So Trevor, T-R-E-V-O-R-S-M-O-T-O-R. Or if you go to noobspiro.com forward slash Trevor's Motor, you'll find this GoFundMe page. We're trying to raise Trevor some cash put a new outboard on his uh, rubbish skip. It's a rebuilt old Haynes boat. He's uh, spent a lot of money uh, and time uh, getting this boat up to scratch and now the outboard's had it. So we're trying to raise Trevor some cash, so check that out. But um, boats, Trevor, they are a money pit, my friend. Oh, so much. Um, if And this comes back to buying the right gear at the time. If I spent what I have spent over the last three hulls I've had, I could have had like a seven, eight meter Eden craft <laughs> and it, it, it gets tricky uh, when you're buying old boats and trying to fix them and things go wrong and it, it's something that you can very quickly spend a lot of money on. Mm. So like everyone is mentioning, one thing to learn and to get good at is just being a good person on somebody else's boat and that way you get invited back all the time. Yeah, let's, um, let's chat about it. I mean... Boats open up a whole new world in spearfishing. I remember chatting with Niall Cameron years ago, and he, his maybe his biggest tip of the entire episode was um, to get a boat because the advantages it confers to a spiro who you know values sustainability and spreading their uh, fishing efforts over you know larger areas. Boats give us an, a level of accessibility that uh, we, we we can't get short of. Uh, you just simply can't cover the ground and you can't move it. You'll, uh, also, you get the benefits of the electronics um, using GPS positioning. Uh, you no longer have to rely on landmarks and stuff like that for navigation. And as I mentioned, you can spread your efforts over many different reef systems and perhaps not take so much from the same places. So they, they, they can aid in sustainability as well. Definitely, 100%. Uh, no, they're one of these things that improves the amount that you can dive and the fish that you can get because, like Trek said, you can spread it out and you don't have to go to the same place again and again and again. Um, doing that, the fish kind of learn your routine and they're harder and to shoot each time, even if you're not getting them. Um, but they are not a good financial decision. They bring you lots and lots of joy and you kind of have to think of it in terms of money equals joy more than money equals ever having that money again. Oh. Is, is spearfishing a good financial decision in general? Without a boat, once you have your basic gear, it's not something apart from having to buy new rubbers and new shaft that costs you a lot of money. Mm. It's, it, the one that kills you in spearfishing is like in most things, you always want to have that better thing, that mm. new thing, that fancy thing. And I think that's just ingrained growing up with advertising anywhere that it's in your head, but you don't have to. 
once you have something that does the job, you don't, and if you don't go and upgrade, you can get by for a long time with just what you have. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, yeah, it can be a financially sound thing once you get the hang of it. And if you're then consuming the fish, if it's something where you go out, shoot all these great fish and then don't do anything with them, then the investment hasn't got an output. If you're going home and eating the fish and using the fish, and then you can actually, yeah, you can save a lot of money. For instance, like one coral trout in Australia can save you like $300. Yeah, it's a good point. I was going to say, like, one thing you've mentioned is, like, being a good um, deckhand, being a good crew member will get you out on other people's boats and you become in high demand because if you show up on time and you pay your way and you help clean up and you, um, uh, you know, listen to the skipper and you good add good input and you maybe you know good spots and things like this this is a, a really broad conversation I, I want to revisit in the future and we'll, I'm probably going to invite you back Trevor to do like a, a spearfishing on boats kind of etiquette and, and how to guide I think because it's a huge subject but um, I wanted to say Regan Regan Gould says yeah mate budget electronics a lot of people overcapitalize with electronics and old secondhand GPS is all you need and you'll probably pick one up for nothing when it comes to sounders the new side scan and chirp technology is handy but it's not necessary he says you know just learning your way around a reef system and learning how to read charts and stuff will, will give you a lot of the advantages that some of the um, people rely on when they're just using, um, you know, some of the more fancier technology, so buying old tech. And uh, those sentiments were echoed by uh, Craig McLevin. He says, my GPS shit itself over a year ago. Instead of buying a $4,000 GPS sounder combo, I downloaded the Navionics app on my phone. It's free for a month and then it's only $35 a year and gives awesome maps of all the reefs and other great marks. I'm never so far offshore. I don't have, um, you know, like mobile access to to get all the information and stuff from Navionics. Trevor, any further points on that? Well, they're pretty well covered. But, yeah, we definitely have one great advantage in spearfishing over line fishing and where they need all these super fancy electronics is they don't have zip balls to put their – well, that's probably the wrong way to it. They don't have the bravery or the clout to get in the water and have a look. So all you really need – for diving is something that with downscan that will show you when there is bait and then jump in and see. Yep. Uh, so you don't need all these wonderful three-dimensional sounders and multi-beam technology. Don't get me wrong. If I had a spare $10,000, I would definitely love to get one, but it's not something I'll ever have the money for. Yeah, cool. I'm going to see if Dan or Nicholas have some thoughts on this. Um, feel free to boys to comment on on boating or weight belts and so far what we've sort of talked about. Um, yeah. Yeah, this is Dan. Um, a couple of things. Uh, back on the boats, the, you, you hit it right, Shrek. It's uh, etiquette. Things like offering to bring lunch, pay, helping to pay for fuel, especially helping to clean the boat. On uh, My boat's a 23-foot Grady White. It's kind of a big boat. It's, it's uh, kind of high off the water. The last time I was out, well, actually it was Roman Castro, myself, and my dive buddy, George. And we all had, there was no room to walk around the deck because we had so much crap all over the deck, all the equipment and everything. I like the idea of the, of the, of the bin. Uh, and what, for decades, the, 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 uh, back in the old days, all the divers in L.A., they used to go to Sears or one of the stores and they'd buy a, one of those trash cans that has wheels on it. They'd wheel it, held their stuff down the dock, put it on the boat, just bungee it into place, and away they go. Yeah. Um, as far as the electronics, we're a little different here because we get fog 
And so I did spend the big bucks for a Simrad with radar. So I got everything you could get. Also yep. being a boat, a boat captain for a living. I mean, it's kind of what I do, but, yeah. uh, but I also, I know how to dead reckon and find my landmarks and all that, but uh, you're right. I mean, just a good GPS, you know, if you, if you don't have to worry about fog and things like that, then just a good GPS and a good depth finder is, is pretty much all you need. Yeah. I definitely um, want radar and yeah. thick fog. I can yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and and I didn't realize, but I guess I donated to your trash boat. I I donate some money to a trash guy <laughs> trying to get a motor for a trash boat. I didn't know it was you. But, oh, yeah, so, thank you very much. Good for you. No, good for you. I, I like I like what you're doing with it. That's why I did. Oh, thanks. Yeah, yeah. Rubbish Sparrows, this awesome group on Facebook. So again, if if people want to check that out, noobsparrow.com forward slash Trevor's Motor. And uh, come in and just drop five bucks on it if, if you like. But um, yeah, it's, it's a great initiative. Thanks for your support there, Dan. I'm gonna keep. We're gonna keep moving. I'll come back to you again. DIY gear maintenance, Trevor. You are an absolute gear gun. And at this time, I also want to promote your YouTube channel, which is Submerged Psychos on YouTube. There's a fantastic playlist in there, which is just tips and gear stuff. Um, let's talk. Let's go gear maintenance. I'm. It's not my game. I'm not good at it. I'm learning, and I'm starting to take a bit more responsibility in my equipment. But um, how can guys get started and think more about looking after their gear better? It yeah, maintenance is one of the biggest spots where you can save a lot of money. Uh, being able to do it yourself, you're not paying for the labour. It also means that you can do it from large amounts of parts, so you can buy all in one hit and save a lot of money. Uh, so just learning a couple of your basic knots like your inverted figure of eight and standard figure of eight and a bowline, you can pretty much rig a spear onto a gun on the water in about five metres. Minutes. Man. <laughs> Special brain some days in about five minutes and keep diving again. And all you have to have is a roll of Dyneema in your bag. And that can fix nearly everything from making your new rubbers apart from the rubber you need to have or retying a rubber, retying bridles. It can all be done with this one roll of Dyneema and you can get through the day. Uh, so learning how to maintain your gear is very important and learning how to service your own gear is quite important. Uh, the other one is also with your wetsuits. If you look after them, particularly these new open cell wetsuits, the more you look after them, the more lifespan you're going to get out of them. So if you get home, put them in a tub. Usually what I use is the same tub that sits on our boat for the weight belts and you just add a little bit of this wetsuit wash. You can get it from different places. You can also use sex toy wash, which works really well just because it won't destroy the silicon and the neoprenes. Give it a swish around and hose it out. It will prolong the life of your suit exponentially from what it would be if you just got it sitting there and just doing nothing. Um, the other one is where you hang your suits and store your gear. The more heat on your rubber products, the quicker they will deteriorate. Um, and the other one to really look out for is hanging them on a porous surface, particularly your open cells. Because if your open cell is then drying on something that's porous like wood or um, concrete is another one, it will actually stick to that surface. And then when you go to pull it up, you're going to tear it away a little bit. Nice. So um, number one, how did you work out that six toy wash works equally well on spearfishing equipment, Trevor? Well, because there is quite a few um, companies that have utilised this fact and they will sell wetsuit lube that is also the other kind of lube with a new label. And from that turning up in some shops where I was, I investigated it further and started talking to these people in these places. Um, you can tell the difference. This doesn't have a zip. So this one is yeah. for offshore. The one for zip is for inshore. That's and excellent. Yeah. So you just want 
some form of soap that doesn't actually eat away at silicon. Mm. Um, and unfortunately, a lot of your conditioners and shampoos and hand soaps now are getting a lot harder, especially with COVID, because they've all got to have a higher level of anti-germ. Yep. And that can actually start to deteriorate the materials that your things are made from. Mm. Okay, so into a tub with just fresh, clean water. And uh, how long do you leave it in there for? I leave mine overnight because I am too lazy not to pee in my suit. So the enzymes need a little bit more time to get rid of that lovely aroma that we all enjoy so much. Yeah, And yep. then, yeah, I'll rinse it off and hang it up. But you can just, it's pretty much like hand washing. You put it in there, shake it around and then pull it out and hose it. You can just do it quite yep. quickly like that. Okay, cool. Um, a lot of guys think that you have to take a spear gun mechanism apart to to really give it a decent, a lot of um, maintenance and make sure that fresh water is everywhere in there. What's your take on it? Just the pressure from your hose will get it all out. Um, the main one with your mechanisms, and when they get really bad, you do have to do that. But the main one, <clears> particularly <throat> if you're using steel shafts, is to store the gun with the shaft outside of the mechanism because the steel will corrode. There's nothing you can do to stop it. They... Um, chemical dip it and they do a whole bunch of um, plating. I can't remember the right word, electrostatic plating or something like that to slow the rusting down. But if you have it sitting in the mech rusting, the rust will then etch into the plastic in certain mechs or it's even worse in stainless where it'll actually bond to the stainless of the mechanism and it'll slowly over time cause more and more wearing and galling, particularly in stainless mechanisms and even in your plastic ones as well. So the main one is just to yeah, give it a good hose out and keep the spear out of that mech. Mm. Uh, the other thing to avoid, and unfortunately it happens more and more, and I've had to fix a few that have come through the shop where I work, is when people spray WD-40 or lanolin or something through the mechanism. Unfortunately, yes, where that will oil and help the parts move, it's designed to work in not a marine environment. So as soon as sand, salt, anything coarse sticks to that oil, it stays there, mm. and then it will help to wear away and rust. So, yeah. yeah, the best bet is, yeah, when you get home, give it a really good flush out with a pressurised hose that will wash everything out of there and then, yeah, store it with the spear out. So no silicon spray, nothing? No. Like, if you, wanted, if you do really want to spray your flopper, that's fine. That will help just because the steel and the stainless don't really get along with each other and just keep it lubricated. Fish blood does the same thing. So the more fish you shoot, the less rusty your shaft gets, <laughs> which comes in handy. Uh, but, yeah, you want to keep all your sprays and anything but water away from your actual mechanism. Okay. Any good um, videos or YouTube channels um, you would recommend for um, guys wanting to learn more about DIY equipment maintenance? Uh, for making rubbers and things like that, Daniel Mann has done quite a few videos. Not that I said that. If anyone asks, I'll deny it. <laughs> um, no, he's, he went in depth quite well with his rubber making. Yeah, um, Daniel Mann's got an excellent few, YouTube channel. Um, the New Zealand, really good bloke. Luke Potts? Yes, he's done a couple as well that are very good. Okay. Sorry, I'm bad with names. That's all right. Um, Adreno also have some um, some good videos up there too, as does uh, Neptonics. But, um, yeah, Neptonics ones are good. We're sport these days. Rob Allen's got some really good uh uh, ones too. His uh, videography and edits uh, have a lot to be desired, but like in terms of actual quality of information and stuff, like brilliant. And Mr. Coates has been putting out quite a few brilliant ones recently, especially about rollers. If you are trying to nut out rollers, yeah, yep. I've been learning. Like I've played with them for years, and he's even put some things up that I never would have thought of. And that's the main thing in spearfishing: uh, never think you've learned everything. There's always something to learn. Yeah, cool. Every time I talk to you, I learn something, Trevor. And uh, I, I, li I like geeking out on stuff with you too. It's fun. 
Um, but mostly because you wear a mask and you, you wash your wetsuit with sex toy lube and you always say definitely, but um, definitely. thank you. Definitely. The more sex toy you use, <laughs> sex toys you use, um, no, the, uh, but no, it's just another thing if you can't get access. A lot of companies have wetsuit wash and swimwear wash and things <coughs> like that nowadays, um, but if you can't get access to that, there is at least 10 sex shops in every town in every state. It's one of those places <laughs> you can always get access to. They're a lot more open uh, and uh, available than dive shops these days. Just don't go to the fifth floor and the Japanese ones. Um, all right, bargain bins in store and online. Let's talk about equipment code discounts. Actually, before we get into maintenance, let's see if Nicholas or Dan would like to add some thoughts with regards to DIY gear maintenance. Um, there's a lot of stuff you can do to save some money with regards to looking after or making your own equipment. So um, I'd love to hear your guys' thoughts. Um, this is Dan. I, I'll tell you what, I totally agree as far as the maintenance on the guns and the mechanism. Um, and we've, I live at the beach. We have issues with salt water and people and WD 40. You just don't want it's a, it's a, it's not a loop. It's not what you want to use. If you, if you insist on something, I don't know if they have this product down in your neck of the woods, but it's LPS spray. And it's it, that, that will lubricate without having things stick to it. Um, and it's, there's LPS one, two, and three. So, but uh, I, I'm with you guys. Fresh water and rinse, you know, rinse it out is, mm. the, is the best way to go. Cool. Um, let's see what was else. What was the other thing? Um, the uh, uh, yeah, as far as the videos, uh, Dan Mann, he's got Daniel Manns, I think, are the ones, and then we've got uh, a couple others. But uh, you know, it's funny. I'm, I'm in the video business. I don't make any of these videos because everyone else is. I just enjoy the ones that I'm watching. Yeah, yeah. Oh, good, Dan. Shrek, Jeremy here, man. I'm back. I just wanted to say the podcast is growing from strength to strength, my friend. Hoorah, man. I just wanted to also say thank you to your listeners for their uh, continued support, subscribing, reading, writing, and submitting kick-ass spearfishing adventures from all over the planet. Your listeners kick-ass, and Shrek, my friend, so do you. All you guys, come check out the latest edition of Spearing Magazine at spearingmagazine.com. Jeremy out. All right, we're going to talk equipment code discounts. So bargain bins in-store and online, there's been some fantastic initiatives over the years, um, like shops running out sort of old old end-of-line stuff, um, you know, one-offs, like you used to find half a wetsuit because the other half was damaged and things like that. Um, Trevor, any sort of advice with regards to this? I've got a bunch of codes and stuff I'm going to rattle off in a sec. Just learning and keeping an eye out when you go into shops and asking around. Um, the other one that's really good is if you join freediving or spearfishing clubs, you will find a lot of people who've got gear that they've accumulated over years and will be more than happy to give a lot of it away to yep. people who are showing a genuine interest. Yeah, and who they know and they've met. Like, um, you know, you're always going to sell your gear to people you don't know, or, but if you, that's someone you do know, chances are, like, a lot of, a lot of Spiros are very generous people. Like, not only generous in terms of um, the expertise and knowledge they share, but generous in terms of taking you out on dives and, um, and, and, and yeah, selling your hand-me-down gear or giving it to you. And um, 
There's fantastic clubs all over the world. Um, you, you just need to research your local area, or you can go to noobspero.com. Up in the menu, the About menu, there's a Spearfishing Club Connections page, and uh, there's a directory there of spearfishing clubs wherever you are in your part of the world. In fact, if your club is not listed, um, go there and you, you'll see the instructions on how to submit your club, and I'll, up, I'll, I'll update it. But in terms of discount codes, neptonics.com. If you're a US-based Spiro, I recommend go to neptonics.com. You're going to save 10% off store-wide when you use the code NOOB10. And uh, so N-O-O-B-10 and you'll save 10% off. Um, at Adreno.com, you can always use the code NOOBSPIRO to save 20 bucks on every purchase over 200 Fantastic way to save money. If you go to PenetratorFins.com, you can use the code NOOBSPIRO to save $25 on any set of blades, whether they're composite or... Um, carbon fiber, whatever you like, use the code NoobSpirit to save $25. Ted Hardy's got a free course at freedivingsafety.com. If you want to learn just the nuts and bolts and the basics of the the mechanisms and how to conduct a rescue, things like that, go to freedivingsafety.com. That's free. And uh, and check it out. But um, there's some awesome discount codes if you are buying new gear. I recommend building a relationship with your local spearfishing retailer and, uh, and then you... They will show you the equipment they recommend and why at the time. There might be seasonal sales on and price fluctuations and um, different gear is different is differently is priced differently in, in, in different parts of the world for various reasons. Um, so local recommendations mean a hell of a lot because, um, yeah, like local conditions play a lot into it. Like you're not going to buy, uh, you know, 1.3-metre spear guns if you are in areas where they have consistently low visibility. Um, and they're going to have specific recommendations and why you should use it in your part of the world. So build a relationship with that with that local retailer and they'll start, you know, if they're good people, they'll, they'll give you the right advice. And if they're not, go and find another shop. That would be my advice. Um, yeah, anything to add to that? Oh, just touching on what you were saying there with building that relationship that most people who are in a dive shop uh, are there because they genuinely want to help people. So the nicer of a person and the better of a customer you are, the more they're going to be inclined to look after you. Yep. Um, when you get people who are very difficult, it's unlikely that they're going to get any extra help or mm. like on pricing or even just advice. So the nicer you are and the more open and honest you are, the more that people will be wanting to help you because that's what they're there for. Most people get into retail not because they want to make a lot of money, but because they want to actually help people. Yeah, and because they froth on spearing. And, I mean, I think if you want a job in a spearfishing store and you just froth on spearing, if you're good at talking to people, it's a good idea because um, like Trevor, like Trevor works at Adreno here, I think is reduced hours these days because of uh, some other stuff going on. But um, it's a fantastic way to just geek out on gear all day and you get to experiment with different stuff and, you know, like different customers will ask you to set guns up in different ways and things like that. Uh, it's, and, and you get insider knowledge on the latest developments and the things that are coming out. And uh, it's an exciting space, particularly if you're a gear geek. Oh, 100%. Definitely. <laughs> um, if you want to save more money and you're even tighter than what we've talked about today, uh, you could look at getting sponsored. Uh, it's increasingly difficult these days. and uh, But nevertheless, if you go back to the Noob Spirit archives, you can listen to Aaron Ch- uh, Chassis who used to own and operate Speared Apparel, and he had some fantastic tips for guys wanting to get uh, get sponsored. Um, Adreno.com have got a guide to getting sponsored, as do Headhunter. And um, I've got an idea to pitch to you as well. If you do want to get free equipment, 
there's a value exchange you can do. You could you could do equipment reviews for them as long as they don't require you to leave a positive review because you're getting that equipment for free. I think you can leave yourself a respectable review. There's difficulties with that because they're going to want to see some of your previous work. Like if you're reviewing a wetsuit, they're going to want to know that you've re reviewed equipment in the past and, and that you're thorough and professional and you're going to publish that somewhere that's reputable and uh, and will be seen by a lot of other people that go spearfishing and want to buy the right equipment. Online, Some of the online retailers like Adreno.com have also got customer reviews, which is a fantastic way to sort of read. And like all reviews, you can tell um, a lot about the equipment by how they write their review. It should have pros and cons because all equipment's like that. There's there's generally there's trade-offs. Like with wetsuits, uh, which we didn't get into a lot, Trevor, I think there's um, the durability versus flexibility kind of trade-off. Did you want to comment on that? That's a very good point, and I'm sorry we forgot about that. Uh, hmm. The more flexible and softer the foam your wetsuit is made out of, the quicker it's going to compress at depth and deteriorate. So your older-style lined suits will last so much longer than the new open cells. Uh, but manufacturers love open cell because it's cheaper to make and they can sell it for more. So yeah. they do like it. And it is genuinely a little bit warmer and a lot more flexible, which allows you to take a larger breath of air and things like that. Particularly there's ones like Cressy that are even now putting more flexible open cell material across the back of your ribs to allow you to inflate your lungs even more. Mm. But, yeah, those ones you do have to be a, bit, a lot more uh, gentle with um, mm. and just be careful in around the rocks and those kind of things. Wetsuits secondhand. Would you buy a secondhand wetsuit? I'd wash it thoroughly, but I can't see an issue with it. Like little really? nicks and tears you can re-glue. Um, it'd just be seeing like how much use. So if it's a suit that's only been used a little bit and hasn't started to compress and deteriorate, then you can repair it. And it's urine's sterile. And some people pay a lot of money for other people's urine to be on them. So it, it really depends. But I can't see too much of an issue with it personally. I think I'm going to urinate on you after this episode. Maybe during it if we... <laughs> yeah, we'll a nice and romantic atmosphere. <laughs> um, no, awesome, Trev. Um, like we touched on a, a few things today about uh, about boating and about, you know, like buying your own boat is an expensive endeavour, but we're going to do an episode in the future about how you can be a good crew member and how you can be helpful and useful. And um, I remember when I got my first few opportunities on boats, I had to go out during midweek. Uh, it was a time when they couldn't get anyone else, so they were hard up and I got my first opportunity. And I really, really, really appreciated those opportunities. I could never afford a boat. And, uh, and you know, so you, you really want to do your best, but you sometimes you inadvertently do things. I still do things, um, you know, that aren't the best. Uh, Everyone makes those mistakes day to day. You never know. Um, it's changed a lot nowadays. There's a lot more boats going out. When I started, there was a lot fewer boats. So you kind of had to do nearly an internship. Yep. Um, the first, however many trips the skipper felt, you were just there to drive the boat and decky and learn how to drop them off in the right spots and read the sounders and just learn how to do everything correctly. And then once they had enough faith that you weren't going to sink the boat and kill everybody, then you were allowed to start getting in the water and kind of progress on from there. I think there's something to be said for those apprenticeships too. And I'm going to invite Dan's um, advice here because he was a skipper for so many years. And Nicholas can also drop some comments if he'd like. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, going back to the whole boat thing, it's a, uh, uh, you, your discussion was correct. I mean, it, find someone else with a boat first, you know, to, and, and just be a good guy, be a good deckhand. That's one, one of the things that, that I always used to people say, well, what makes a good deckhand? Well, a, the first thing you learn is do what the captain says. 
That's what makes a good deckhand. Whether it's royal and, <laughs> and uh, yeah, and then uh, you know you just uh, the, the etiquette. The, it's, it's it's a whole episode. Sometimes you want to do it. I mean, it's, it's you don't have enough time here for it all. But um, the other, the only other thing I want to mention about the boats, if you're if you're going for a big boat or a little boat, whatever, it's always tough if, for some people to get back in the boat. So we we put a ladder that extends down. It's it's it flips up. It's got instead of being a closed ladder. It's got it's got like pegs on it, so you can slide your fins in between, you know, the pegs and get back on board. And uh, sometime I can I can send you a picture if you want to go online here in the United States. Look up a boat called the Bottom Scratcher or the Sand Dollar. Some pictures. Look at the ladders. It's uh, it's not something. You know, it's, and we put one. I found a source for even my boat to have one. It just helps helps get people on the boat, uh, you know, a lot more efficiently and safely. Frankly, mm. uh, the other thing is that. Uh, Around here, when I when I was running the charter boats, if somebody showed up with a, a spear gun on, you know, loaded spear gun, and I've got twenty passengers on board, they they were all done spear fishing. Mm. Now, you know, when we go out in private boats, it's the, the especially for the bluefin that we've got offshore, um, the the procedure is to have your spear gun loaded, you know, so you can get in the water and get out of the water. You just have to be careful where you point it, yep. you know, and that sort of thing. So, but uh, it's it, that's a big change of how it used to be. Cool. All right. Um, thanks. Thanks for commenting, Dan. We're going to head on out in a sec. Uh, I did want to chat briefly about a few more things, but um, cheers for your input today. Oh, thanks. Okay. Mute me. I'm out. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. It's been brilliant talking to you. Yeah. So um, joined by um, Trevor Ketchian live today for this episode of Tide Spiro. We're nearing the end, Trevor. I really just want to thank you for coming along and talking about um, – you know, sex lube and um, overusing the words definitely, 100%. And, um, oh, we didn't really kill actionable today, so that was good. Yet. Um, so <laughs> I'll be on that team for the drinking game. I'll take actionable. <laughs> you can have definite. And we need a third person for 100%. Yeah, so to save some money, I hope you guys have learned a, a, a ton of tips today and a ton of actionable tips to help you <laughs> save some cash on your um, spearfishing gear. Um, as usual, all of the things we discussed today will be up at noobspiro.com forward slash tidus when this thing goes live for the people on Facebook Live watching. Um, I did want to mention Rubbish Spiros. Uh, rubbish Spiros on Facebook. If you um, like cleaning up your local waterways, you want to connect and maybe win a prize or two, join Rubbish Spiros on Facebook. Also, we mentioned Submerged Psychos today on YouTube for equipment tutorials. I'll also link up Daniel Mann's channel. Uh, he's got some awesome gear videos if you're wanting to save money, DIY equipment. And also, if you go to noobspiro.com forward slash Trevor's Motor, you can donate some cash to Trevor's project to fix up his rubbish, uh, rubbish gathering machine, I'm going to call it. He's trying to put a new outboard on that. So noobspiro.com forward slash Trevor's motor and uh, contribute to his GoFundMe page there. That would be awesome. But um, Trevor, uh, any final words, parting advice for the tight-ass sparrows out there? I think it would just be to not, on the tight-ass side of things, don't worry what you look like. Uh, the fish don't give a damn. Uh, it's hard in this new Instagram world we live in, but if you have the ability to cheaply buy like two different types of wetsuits and nothing matches, and it doesn't matter. The fish aren't going to care. Just get out there and have fun and just stay within your limits. There's no point, and I'll probably uh, – I, I personally don't like it. Um, there's a lot of these quick finance things now at shops. 
Uh, it's better off just to wait until you have the money to get the thing than going and financing something and then getting yourself further behind. Take it for a man who has way too much debt. You, know, <laughs> you want to minimise the amount of that you have. Yeah, yeah. you, you don't need all the bells and whistles. Um, way back in the day, uh, Darren Shields, he even sells at Max Equipment. He <laughs> says, uh, don't go, go don't go in there dressed up like a Christmas tree. Classic words to live by and uh, thanks 100%. everyone. <laughs> Thanks everyone for your contributions today. I hope you've enjoyed this episode. We are out again. Show notes at noobspiro.com forward slash forward slash forward slash forward slash tight us. Enjoy. Bye bye and thank you for listening. Hopefully we help. Hey guys, I hope you got a ton out of today's episode. Maybe you'll save some dollars down the road somewhere. Um, massive shout out to Trevor. He cancelled his GoFundMe with regards to. Um, raising some money for his outboard to, for the trash collecting boat. He felt too guilty about it, so he refunded all the people that had uh, contributed to his GoFundMe, so disregard that. But, um, yeah, fantastic episode today. If you would like to find out about anything mentioned, go to noobspiro.com forward slash tidus, and we'll have a host of show notes. If you ever miss uh, or you want to find a link that's mentioned in the show, if you go to noobspiro.com, there's a Noobspiro podcast tab, and you can find the show notes to every episode we've ever recorded, and there should be links to everything that were mentioned in that episode there. But, hey, I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you love the show and froth on it, I would really love it if you became a patron listener. Join 41 other patrons at patreon.com forward slash noobspiro and support the noobspiro podcast on an episode by episode basis hey but that's it for me today um awesome love to have you back in two weeks where are we going we are going to aaron edmonds south australian frother we talk about catching massive lobsters and uh shooting southern bluefin tuna i'll see you there in two weeks catch up Adreno stock all the equipment noobers need for freediving and spearfishing. The Adreno spearfishing team will help and advise you about equipment, diving, trips, dive locations for spearos and aspiring spearos of all levels of experience. Visit them in store or chat to one of their friendly team members. They've got stores in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane and Perth and there's a new one on the way. Also, don't forget to take advantage of the Noob Spirit discount code and save $20 on every purchase over $200. That's right, you can now use the code Noob Spiro in store. Yeah! Today's Noob Spiro podcast is brought to you by Neptonics.com. For US divers, Neptonics is the one-stop shop for all of your spearfishing essentials. They've got free shipping on every order over $99. Now you can use the Noob10 code to save 10% off anything and everything store-wide. 10% off store-wide. Use the code NOOB10 at neptonics.com. Boom! Boom!